Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 861 with David Helbron. In, in the sea of hospitality, there's lots of different kinds of marine life. The landlord is the shark. Every single time the landlord is the shark, I don't care if it's your 80-year-old grandmother, she's a shark, a developer, he's a shark. They might be nice. They come in all stripes and colors. They're all sharks. So accept that and go into negotiations and talking to your landlords very carefully. Are you ready for it factors? success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge. Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Today's episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs. And I have to say, I haven't come across a restaurateur using Seven Shifts that hasn't been completely satisfied. Trusted by over 500,000 restaurant professionals, Seven Shifts gives you the complete toolkit you need to easily manage your team's schedules, timesheets, communications, tasks, tips, and more all in one place. And because you are restaurant on Unstoppable listeners, you get three months absolutely free. Get started at www.7shifts.com slash unstoppable. That's the number seven, S-H-I-F-T-S dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free. Today's episode is brought to you by Chow Now, a commission free online ordering system and food ordering app helping restaurants feed their hungry customers. Over 20,000 restaurants trust Chow Now for their online ordering, and this is because Chow Now helps their restaurants keep their profits, own their online experience, meet their customers everywhere, and make every diner a regular. With Chow Now, take unlimited commission-free orders through Chow Now's app and site, and there are no setup fees or monthly payments. And what I really love about Chow Now is that you get to own your customer data. This is something not all third-party ordering apps can claim. And when you schedule a demo, don't forget to ask about leveling up with Chow Now Direct, Chow Now's comprehensive online ordering and marketing package. Because you are Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, you can enjoy 30% off the Chow Now Direct annual plan. Sign up today at chownow.com slash unstoppable. That's chownow.com slash unstoppable. Today's episode is brought to you by Talk to the Manager. Nowadays, people don't want to speak face-to-face. They rather communicate via text message and keep it anonymous. Talk to the Manager allows guests to share feedback or ask questions in a way that makes them feel comfortable and is convenient to you. And I think the most valuable aspect of Talk to the Manager is that you give people an opportunity to vent before they go public and write a negative review. Sometimes people just want to be heard and Talk to the Manager gives them that opportunity to be heard. Plus, you don't have to worry about your information being shared. Customers won't see your personal phone number, just the phone number that Talk to the Manager provides. Also, with Talk to the Manager, it's like having a secret shopper. People will tell you any issues they come across at your restaurants, whether you want to hear them or not, but they'll be brought to your attention and that will help you improve your business. Show your guests you care enough to listen with Talk to the Manager. Head to talktothemanager.com slash unstoppable to sign up for your 60-day trial. What up, Unstoppables? We have a great show for you today, but 
before I let you know what we got going on, a quick reminder that this podcast needs your support. And there's a ton of ways you can support what we're trying to do here. One of the ways is by joining Restaurant Unstoppable Network. And actually, today's episode with David Halburn is because of Restaurant Unstoppable Network. We actually had requests from people in the network to do a workshop on how to negotiate a lease. And that's really what I'm in the network to do is to go to work for you. Uh, my dream the reason why I started this podcast was to open a restaurant, but to learn from the most successful people and then to use the money from this podcast to attract onto myself, the resources, money and the people to one day open my restaurant. Uh, but until I opened the, the restaurant, I needed to live vicariously through you all uh, and to hear your pain points and to hear your challenges so I can get access to people you normally wouldn't have access to. And when you join the network, that's what I'm doing is I'm putting you in touch with people that you normally would not have access to. And today we're talking to David Halbern, who is probably one of the most well-known lawyers who specializes in the hospitality industry. He's based in New York City. He is the uh, founder and partner of Hellbrown in Levy. And even before he started his firm, he was in the hospitality industry. He started his own coffee company, Pyramid Coffee, uh, which is still going strong today. And this is the guy you want to talk to when it comes to advice on how to negotiate leases, especially in a city like New York, where man, those guys know how to negotiate. So uh, I hope you found value in today's conversation. Here it is. All right. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, founding partner and chairman of Helbrin and Levy, David Helbrin. David, are you feeling unstoppable today? Oh, I don't know if unstoppable is the word, but I'm, <laughs> I'm feeling pretty good. Feeling something, right? Uh, yeah. So t- today we're going to be covering basically how to negotiate a lease. Uh, we're going to be talking about how to speak to your landlord, uh, the different types of terms you can negotiate. We're going to be talking about um, how to get yourself out of a lease if that is an issue you're faced with. Uh, but b- before we dive into that, I would love to get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? Well, I didn't have one, uh, so I had to look one up on the internet. But I found one that that I liked because I don't really have a mantra. But something that I related to was success is 10% inspiration and 90% perspiration. And that was Thomas Edison who said that. And I I actually believe that is true. Everybody has an idea. Everybody you meet walking down the street has got an idea or two for you. And one out of every hundred can make it happen. And they make it happen because they work hard. You know, and that's one of the reasons why our, one of our core values here is just showing up because I think really do think that's half the battle. It's, it's, that's putting it lightly showing up. There's a lot more, it's a lot more difficult than it sounds, but yeah, you're absolutely right. It's, it's just showing up consistently over time. It reminds me of, uh, uh, oh man, um, it's who's, I can't remember the name, the person said it, but it's just uh, constant gentle pressure. Uh, Danny Meyer. Danny Meyer said, constant gentle pressure. And I think that those words come to mind too. So you know, we're here to talk about negotiating leases, but I think it's really important for our listeners to get an idea of who we're talking to, uh, why it's worth listening to the words you have to say. So why don't you just tell us a little bit more about who you are and why you're worth listening to? Well, um, I'm 30 years in the restaurant industry. Plus, uh, I used to own restaurants and cafes and coffee bars in Manhattan. So I'm a lifer. Um, that was in the late 90s, early 2000s. 
uh, as a second career, I opened up a law firm. There was law school in the middle there somewhere, but we don't have to go into that whole story. I opened up a law firm 16 years ago, and we cater exclusively to the hospitality industry. We're a 25-person law firm. We are the biggest law firm in the world that only handles hospitality. All of our clients are chefs, bar owners, retail, food people, big restaurant groups, etc. What drew you to this vertical of hospitality? Why was this where you wanted to focus? I think there's a certain personality type that's drawn to hospitality. Somebody who is uh, an empathic person, someone who cares about other people, someone who likes being around other people. Yeah. And I'm curious, in, in the work that you do working with hospitality people, how much of your work is associated with just the lease negotiation part of it? Well, it's a big part of opening up a restaurant. Yeah. Um, it's one of the big first parts after raising the money is leases. So everybody who opens a restaurant has to go through it. Did you have... Um, I mean, what were some of the, you mentioned you were involved in the industry, Pyramid Coffee Company. Um, what were some of the lessons that you picked up during that time that made you think maybe, you know, there's definitely a, an opportunity here because of the, the issues that uh, a restaurateur uh, are faced with regarding legal issues. I mean, do you have any like, horror stories associated with that? I don't have any horror stories, but what, what I, I did see when I was an operator was that I had to have three lawyers to to do my work for me. I had a real estate lawyer, I had a corporate lawyer, and I had a liquor license lawyer. And I would talk to all of them all the time, and it always frustrated me because they didn't understand who I was and what my pace was, and they didn't understand the industry. So as I was doing that, and I had a law degree in my pocket, I was started to think that there's got to be a place for a restaurant person in law, somebody who really understands uh, what people who are in the industry have to go through every day in order to make their restaurants run. Yeah. Uh, I think that there's a plenty of people that can support that sentiment. So let's just get into it. Um, where does it make sense to start today's conversation? Well, if we're talking about leases, I, I think we have to start with looking for spaces and how you do that because people come to us all the time. So our firm opens up a couple of hundred new restaurants a year. Um, and people come to us all the time and they say, I have an idea. I think I can raise the money. And now how do I look for space? And here in New York city, there's a couple of different ways to do it. One is you can just walk around, you can get a broker, but the kind of space you're looking for is what's important. And there are two different distinct kinds of spaces to look for. One of them is we call a white box, which is, I find a space I like. It's got the square footage I want. The landlord's going to give it to me in a white box. I'm going to do everything that you need to do. I'm going to do the uh, mechanics, the plumbing, the engineering, the whole thing, the whole build out. The other type of restaurant to space to look for is called a key money restaurant and a key money deal. And that is where you find a space that is either going out of business or that has gone out of business that was a restaurant in the past. I have certain clients who will only do key money deals. And the reason why is because the place was built out for a restaurant. So your plumbing is there, your electric is there, your permits are possible, and you have so much more knowledge walking in as to what you can and can't do there. 
Yeah, absolutely. We also call these turnkey operations where, I mean, one of the biggest challenges of getting involved in the restaurant industry is just the initial operating costs of getting started. Uh, the, between the actual physical costs of the, the, the space, the, the equipment that you have to buy, uh, the people you have to hire to consult to do it right, the, the permitting and all these things. If you can go into a space and just literally take over, uh, I mean, when, so when you, when you have these clients that are taking over a space, are they, are they rebranding it or are they, are they taking over a pre-existing business that has already been licensed and permitted? Well, so they're taking over a place that was licensed and permitted, but they're only using those things for their new concept. So they're always starting a new restaurant, uh, shutting down the old one, opening up a new one, uh, putting some money into probably FF&E, uh, certainly signage and some upgrades. So this is a lot of uh, something we talk about on the show is if you're looking for a space, being able to turn into what you call key money or a turnkey uh, operation. Uh, but when it comes to either just taking over a pre-existing business where you're literally buying the business from somebody and then trying to, tur- to flip it and turn it around versus, okay, we're going to buy the shell of this business, but we're going to rebrand it, create our, a whole new entity. What are the pros and cons to that that we should know about? Well, we... We don't love taking over businesses that are failing. The reason why is usually they're in in the shit, as we say in the industry, meaning yeah. that there's, you know, they owe money to people or there's a lawsuit out there or they're failing for some reason. Mm-hmm. So no need to have a God complex to think that you can turn everything around. Better off going in with your own concept and uh, opening up something new. It just it's a it's a rare occasion that people can turn around a failing concept. Yeah, one of the things I'm curious about mm-hmm. is whether or not the certain uh, licensing and permitting is associated to the LLC the, or the business, whatever the entity is, or is it associated with a physical space? Depends on where you are. Here in in New York City, it's both, but it's really when you do a key money deal. One of the reasons you do them in New York City is you can get what's called the temporary liquor license permit meaning that you don't have to wait six to eight months to get your liquor license, but in a matter of a month or two, you can get a temporary license because there was already a permit or a license at the space. So a big reason people do key money deals is to get that temporary permit so they can get operating sooner rather than later. Some states, it's to the person and you can transfer them like you can a taxi medallion. In other states, you can't transfer them. In New York, you can't sell them on an open market, for example. Got it. What else do we need to consider when we're talking about white box versus key money? I think we, the big consideration is how quickly and how you can open and how much less aggravation it is in a key money deal. Every time you go to a white box, there's 10 pain points that are going to give you agita and cause an ulcer. Getting gas in from the street, getting your contractors to show up, dealing with permits from the city, on and on and on. And every one of those things could be a disaster, meaning that it can delay you further and further down the line. So what you thought would be a, I don't know, a six-month build-out period, and you'd be open in six months, can very easily turn to a year. And of course, when that happens, your funds start to dwindle. And it becomes a really difficult situation. And I've seen a lot of people go through it because you can't always predict what's going to happen with the city and the state. 
and your contractors. Got it. So what? Go ahead. No. And so key money deals, there's just so much more certainty and certainty is always in our favor as restaurateurs. So, and I don't know if this is, I don't know if it's worth bringing to the conversation, but one of the things I have noticed um, in my interviews is that the the folks that tend to go as far as real estate goes uh, slightly outside of the heart of the city on the, the outskirts on the edges tend to, and I don't know if you're, if you're focused solely on Manhattan or if you're in the boroughs too, I don't know how far you're Yeah, we're, we're all over the, all over New York city, all the boroughs. So um, is there some truth to that where if you tend to focus on the, on the outskirts, on the edge of, of development, right? There tends to be less hoops to jump through. The bigger the city I've found, the more challenges you have to face, the, the more bureaucracy there is, the more roadblocks are likely to hit. That's a fair statement. No, I think so. I think so. I think uh, the big city is always difficult because when you're dealing, especially in Manhattan, um, you have block associations to deal with. And block associations are, you know, your your group of favorite NIMBYs, not in my backyards, we call them, NIMBYs who don't want any development on their block. And they certainly don't want another restaurant and another liquor license. So you run into a lot of that in the city and, and the bureaucracy and the red tape is always a little thicker. Yeah. You mentioned during our pre-interview chat online that you want to talk a little bit about using a broker. Do you want to get into that? Well, using a broker is important and you should find a broker, like actually all of your vendors who understands restaurants, you should interview brokers and not just, um, you know, take whoever is recommended to you, make sure they understand the restaurant business and a good broker will represent you and not the landlord. A lot of times people fall into the trap where they hire a broker and the broker is paid by the landlord. And ultimately the broker just wants to make the deal to get the fee and does not really have your best interests at heart. Okay. So, so when we, go ahead. So you got to be careful when you choose them and you want to make sure that they understand restaurants. They brokered restaurant deals because there's so many things that are nuanced in our industry uh, as far as a space goes, what the HVAC looks like, what the amperage is, on and on and on. And your broker needs to be able to talk to the landlord about that for you. Yeah, I got to give a little shout out to my boy, Kyle and Sarah. If you guys are looking for a restaurant broker, especially in the the New York area, um, I will put you in contact with Kyle. Do you know Kyle by any chance? What's his last name? Kyle and Sarah. No, I have to introduce you. Um, so when we're when we are interviewing these brokers, uh, what should that interview look like? What kind of questions should we be asking? I would just keep it simple. Tell me how many restaurants you've done. Show me which ones. What do you look for in a restaurant? Um, how would you represent me? How are you paid? Always understand how they're paid because that will tell you who they're really representing. Okay. Good advice. Um, and, then, and then, I'm sorry, one other thing is, depending on what you're looking for, if you're looking for a key money deal, you should only interview brokers who do key money deals. It's a specialty within the specialty. So why is that? It's just kind of how it happens. You know, people create niches for themselves. So basically, if... Yeah, I, mean, I don't think we need to go any deeper into that. Um, as far as let's see, we talked about um, 
make sure they're not working for the landlord. What are some of the immediate signs or, or, or shows or tells that they're working for the landlord or not you, that they, the landlord suggests them? Well, certainly that would, <laughs> that would, be, that would yeah. be a tell. Um, just ask them who's paying them. Gotcha. Um, who's paying them. And if the landlord is paying them, ask, ask the broker how he's going to represent you. Beautiful. Any other notes that we should bring to the conversation as far as what, when it comes to working with brokers before we move on? I don't think so. All right. We're going to take one quick break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back. Today's episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs. And effective labor management is more important than ever to ensure profitability and restaurant success, especially with this labor shortage. You need to rely and trust technology more than ever before. And dialing in your labor management is one of the most positive, dramatic impacts you can make on your business's bottom line. And when it comes to labor management, Seven Shifts is one of the most, if not the most, organically recommended labor management platforms on the show. Trusted by over 500,000 restaurant professionals, Seven Shifts gives you the complete toolkit you need to easily manage your team's schedules, timesheets, communication, tasks, tips, and more, all from one place. Best of all, Seven Shifts integrates with the POS and payroll system you're already using like toast to make smart operating decisions and turn labor management into a competitive advantage for your business. Restaurant Unstoppable members get three months absolutely free. Get started at www.7shifts.com slash unstoppable. That's the number seven S H I F T S dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free. We're back. And uh, where do you want to take the conversation? What do you think is significant to talk about next? I think you should talk about um, once you find a space. Okay. What you're going to talk, what you're going to talk to the landlord about. So once we do find the space, what do we want to talk to the landlord about? First, let's understand who we're talking to and who is a landlord in, in our universe. In, in the sea of hospitality, there's lots of different kinds of marine life. The landlord is the shark. Every single time the landlord is the shark, I don't care if it's your 80-year-old grandmother, she's a shark, a developer, he's a shark. They might be nice. They come in all stripes and colors. They're all sharks. So accept that and go into negotiations and talking to your landlords very carefully, very carefully. So understand who you're dealing with. And then in order to not be taken advantage of, you have to be able to speak some basic real estate language. You don't want to go see a space and say something that is just so out of left field that you're immediately labeled a a newbie or a rookie. Yeah. You know, when you like talking to a restaurant person, right? You just know right away. Yeah. We speak so, a certain language. There's, there's things we say. Same with real estate. So when you, let's, let's dial it back. You mentioned going into the conversation carefully. What are some of the things that aren't so obvious that we should not talk about? Like how, how do, what does being careful look like in that example? Being careful means having an idea of the things that you can negotiate on your own without having to go to a lawyer first. 
When you walk into a space, there are certain things that you should be thinking about. And I'll tell you what they are. The first thing you're going to walk around and, and, and understand is how much space you need. So in your business plan, you probably have a restaurant, let's call it, that's 2,500 square feet. When you walk into a space, you want to take a look at that and make sure it's 2,500 square feet and then ask the landlord, is there a basement? Uh, does that in- include it in, in the rent? Before you start talking about anything else, get a lay of the land. Is there a roof? Can I use the outside? Can I, can I put seating on the sidewalk? And you want to start to get a sense of what is possible. And so you'll ask those questions to a landlord. Make him describe his building to you. Make him describe his space to you. So basically, you're just looking. It's like all physical attributes. Like you're just looking to learn as much about that space. You're looking to get information, not get information. You don't want to give him anything at the beginning. You just want to get information. You're a shopper. You're shopping around. You're looking at different spaces. So some of the things you want to know from the landlord are the typical things. The first thing certainly would be, what's the rent? And he'll tell you a rent and you'll listen and you'll write it down. Um, And then once you understand what's included in the rent, what space is included in the rent, you'll start talking about things like, well, um, what is the tax implications? We want to understand every dollar that's going to come out of our pocket. And it comes out in a lot of different ways. There's the rent, and then there's things called additional rent, which includes things like taxes, paying for waste removal. And you want to know everything that's going to be included in that. So you can walk out of that first meeting understanding generally how much it's going to cost you to rent a space there. Can you give me any more examples of what would be considered additional rent, like taxes or waste removal, things that come up often? Well, in, increase in tax is the big one. And oftentimes, landlord will say, any increase in tax on the building, building tax, property tax, you're going to pay a percentage of. Uh, there are some buildings that are triple net lease, they're called, where you pay the landlord's increases in everything in property tax and in insurance, um, whether it's fire, whether it's de- what, liability, whatever it is. And so you got to be really careful about that. But that's where you see the additional rent the most. So during these, this first meeting, you're going, you're looking to collect data. Are you straight up asking like, what additional fees are there? Yeah. Like, yeah, what, what else could I expect? It's not inappropriate, inappropriate to ask those questions or anything like that. I'm Absolutely not. You need to know how much money is coming out of your pocket to understand if you can afford this space. But as soon as you hear things like there is a triple net uh, associated or increase in tax, uh, with there is an increase in tax, like do you want to start? Do you want to just kind of leave it at that, or do you want to kind of take that as a note and bring it to your lawyer so they can go and start negotiating on your behalf? You can take it to your lawyer, to your broker, but just you're just gathering information. There's your first visit. Is there's no negotiation. It's, right. it's information gathering. It's getting to know the landlord. The same way the landlord's going to want to get to know you, by the way, and do a background check and check your credit. You want to do the same for a landlord. We, we had, I don't know, 300 clients during COVID fighting tooth and nail with their landlords. Some landlords were super cool about it. You don't have to pay rent or pay us a percentage rent. And some landlords were just the biggest assholes in the world. And if our clients did research before on the landlord, they would know who the assholes are. Yeah, I mean, we, yep. 
Well, I was, I was thinking, like you said, you want to consider all landlords to be a shark, right? Because they're, mm-hmm. they're a shark. But at the same time, if you go into a, a conversation defensive, uh, can that hurt you? You don't want to go in defensive. You, you, you don't want to... You want to see how you get along. It's a long relationship. In fact, it could be your longest relationship in business. You can be in business with your landlord for 10 or 15 years. And you actually are in business with them, meaning that you need to go to them for financial things. I need a break on the rent. I don't want to pay this increase. You shouldn't have billed me like this. I need you to fix something. They, they actually have a big part in your success or failure. So I know a big part of what we're going to be talking about today is the certain the basic uh, real estate language, but and you also want to talk about uh, the landlord and how you speak to the landlord. So what makes more sense? Should we talk about how to speak to the landlord and then get into the language, or vice versa? It's all this, it's all part of the same conversation. Um, when you walk into a, a building and you talk to the landlord, you want to ask him about what's included uh, space wise. You want to ask him what the HVAC looks like, and you have to understand what that is because that's always going to be a big expense potentially. You want to ask him what the tax implications are for a tenant. Then you want to start asking him some more questions about basic terms, like what what kind of increase per year are you looking at for your rent? We call it rent escalation. You should know that term. They're, they're gonna, what's that? What's reasonable? So we know if he gives us an, or she gives us a number that that's extreme versus not, which is more reasonable. Here in New York City, 3% is right in the pocket. 3% increase a year. Okay. So, so sometimes you'll see two, two and a half. That's rare. 3% is the norm. It's customary. Got it. So what are some of these key uh, real estate languages, these, these terms that we should be aware of? Well, rent escalation is going to be number one. Got it. Um, and then you're going to want to talk about what kind of build out time you're going to get. Um, and landlords are, are always attuned to answering that question. If you take a space that's a white box and you know it's going to take you four months to build it out, you want to hear a landlord say, well, I, I'm, I'm ready to give you four months of rent abatement. And so that's the term, rent abatement. They're abating the rent for a certain amount of time to allow you to build it out. If you walk into a, a place and you say the words rent escalation and rent abatement, a landlord already knows that you're a serious person. Yeah. So um, in regards to rent abatement, what is reasonable? Like we also don't want to be, we don't want to ask for a a year of rent abatement. That might not be a good way to start a a business relationship. So what is reasonable? Really depends on, on how much money you're going to put into the space. Because if you put a lot of money into a space, you're improving the landlord's building. You're improving the space and, and increasing the value at the same time. So if you've got a space that you're going to put a million dollars into and it's going to include things like uh, MEP, engineers, engineering things, plumbing things, et cetera, uh, that the landlord's going to keep, maybe it's a, uh, a stack that goes to the roof, maybe it's other ductwork, um, you should try to have that covered, meaning that the landlord should give you an abatement that at least equals the value that you're putting into the business. 
Um, we usually ask our clients to tell us how long they think the build out is going to take. And then we add a couple of months to that. And that's what we're asking for. So what is reasonable to be something that's expected to stay behind if you if your business doesn't work out, right, and you, you, you do close up shop, what should you expect to retain as your assets and what would be uh, an improvement on the physical space? I'm assuming one thing would be the hood because you're not going to pull that out and take that with you, likely. Uh, what else? The, the lease usually has a clause in it that says that any permanent fixtures remain. So anything that's permanent is going to stay. But also, you know, the majority of our clients that end up closing end up selling their business in a key money deal because there's value to the stuff that's in there. They've built out a kitchen. They've got all that stuff you talked about. Might as well get a couple of bucks for it. Um, but if you had to leave and your lease was over and <laughs> you would take your equipment, you take your furniture and fixtures that were not affixed and you leave everything else. So it's things like, uh, like the hood, like the flooring that you're putting in, like the, the pump stays. That stays. stays. You're improving the physical space with that stuff. And that's part of the stuff that you're going to use for leverage in negotiating what type of uh, rate rent abatement or what the period of rent abatement you can get. There you go. Yeah. Now, now you got it. See, I'm, I'm, I'm learning things, man. There's, there's, there's hope. <laughs> uh, anything else that we want to talk about is in regards to rent abatement or the, the lingo, the language we should be using? Uh, Not as far as rent abatement goes. Um, Another question you're going to want to ask the landlord is, what's the term? So we don't say, how long is the lease? We say, what's the term? Which means, how long is the lease? Are you looking at five years, 10 years? We typically advise our clients that anything less than 10 years is a waste of time. And frankly, here in New York, the longer the lease, the better because we'll always have a way out for you, an escape route. So landlords like to play games with term. They like to say, well, we'll give you a five-year lease and a five-year option. And you think, well, great five-year option. But turns out that option is usually for the landlord. Or if it's for you, meaning you can um, option the next five years to stay there, they'll put in a term that says fair market value, meaning that I will let you stay another five years, but when you decide to do that, we are going to change the rent to a fair market value. What does that mean, do you think? It means that they can change the rent whenever they want. (laughs) It means that at that point, because you've made the block cool with your funky restaurant or bar uh, and and retail rents have gone up, they're going to raise your rent. Because the the five thousand dollars a month you're paying now is eight thousand, and so that's why we like to have a nice long lease with that three percent escalation every year. And I I'd take a hundred year lease if I could. What what is a good like? I mean, ten. You said nothing less than ten, but what's a good reasonable target to aim for? Ten ten is in the pocket. Ten is where you want to be. Is there a scenario if you can get where- ten with a with an option? That's fine too. If you can get fifteen, that's great. Okay. Uh, what are some of the things we can do to increase our leverage in getting that ten to fifteen upfront? Um, <clears throat> leverage 
in real estate only increases as your reputation increases. You want to show the landlord that you're a good bet because restaurants are not always a good bet and they're problematic tenants sometimes for landlords. It's hard to pay the rent. So if you're a restaurateur and you've got four or five restaurants behind you and you're a good operator and other landlords say good things about you, you're going to have a very different kind of discussion and negotiation with the landlord as if you're a first timer who is a GM at a restaurant and this is your first, uh, first cafe. Got it. Uh, so is, is there a scenario that you know of where it might be beneficial to have us a, a, um, a shorter term? Usually not. Okay. Usually not. Um, the only short term things that are okay sometimes are, you know, seasonal rentals at a beach or something like that. But the only thing I can think of is if you're, if you're betting a, on a, a, a location that might be hinging on something else happening, like a big like commercial park might be built where you might get some of the, the flow, but if that park falls through or whatever, and then that, that space doesn't get developed, then you're stuck out in the middle of no man's land. Uh, so you might want an option to get out sooner than later. I mean, that's, I mean, we're getting creative now. You're a creative guy, Eric. Um, I appreciate that about you. I, it does bring us to a, another point about leases. Um, and, and this is going to also show that you know what you're talking about and is an important, important thing to negotiate. And that is the guarantee. So most leases in this world, most commercial leases, require you as the person behind the company to personally guarantee a lease. So the lease is going to be in the name of your company, Cacciatore LLC, but Eric is going to have to sign on that lease to say that you guarantee that every dollar that's owed to the landlord will come out of your pocket if your company can't pay it. Okay. So as a restaurateur, that is a scary scenario. Yeah. And and nobody wants to guarantee a lease for 10 years because who the hell knows what's going to happen. So what we do here in New York and in a lot of places, California is a little bit different, is we have something called the good guy guarantee. And a good guy guarantee means that I'm going to be a good guy if I'm failing and I want to leave. And the landlord's going to be a good guy uh, and let me out of the lease. And it works like this. If I am failing and I want to close, if I give the landlord a certain amount of notice, usually somewhere between three and six months, and I write him a letter and I say, I'm closing in three months. I know I'm in year two of my 10-year lease, but I'm closing in three months. And you pay the landlord all the rent that's due up until that three-month period. And you're caught up on everything. If that happens, you can hand the keys back to the landlord. And the landlord will rip up your personal guarantee. And you no longer have to personally guarantee anything. The landlord will keep your security deposit uh, as a penalty and will market the space and you'll, you'll both go on your way. So to make sure I understand, as long as you are communicating, hey, like this is our intention, we're, we're going to be you know, giving up on this, this space, uh, here's three months rent. Uh, and as long as you pay that month, you're going you're gonna to lose your security deposit, but, but you won't be on the hook for the guarantee. You no. got it. You won't be sued. You're not going to get a lawsuit that says, Eric, 
yours, you know, $600,000 for the next eight years, it's not going to happen. So it's very important when you're negotiating a lease that you ask the landlord what kind of good guy guarantee he has. And he will, he will start to tell you, he'll say, well, we do a good guy and we require six months notice. Take a note. We'll negotiate that. The shorter the notice, the better for us, obviously. Got it. Um, so I know one of the things we're going to be discussing today is what you should be talking about on your own and where you, the, the lines drawn where you start having the conversation with a lawyer involved. Have we crossed that line up to this point? Is, is this stuff that you want to have a lawyer involved with? The, the other thing, well, I will say that your lawyer should be involved as soon as a term sheet is produced. So all of these little negotiations, these in-person, hey, what do you think? What do you think? Will result in what's called a term sheet. Sometimes it's called an LOI, a letter of intent. And that term sheet is the jumping point for negotiations. And the term sheet will list all of these things, what the rent is, how long of a lease it is, what the good guy guarantee notice period is. Can you assign the lease to somebody else if you want to sell it? What does that look like? We start talking about that too. What are your additional rent burdens? And all of the kind of major points of the lease are in the term sheet. As soon as you get a term sheet is when you should start talking to a lawyer because you're agreeing to stuff that's going to show up in your lease. So the term sheet is just basically like what to expect. So when, if you made it to that point and they're giving you a term sheet, this like this is the expectation of our business relationship. When you get that, then you show it to the lawyer. Uh, it's more of an offer. Okay. So when you get a term sheet from the landlord, you're going to take that term sheet and you're going to use that as a starting point for negotiations. And so you might look at a term sheet that says rent is 10000 a month and it's a seven-year lease and the escalations are 4% and the good guy notice is in 120 days. And you might go back and say, I actually want the rent to be 8000 not 10000 I want it to be a 10-year lease. I want the escalation to be 3% on and on. And you'll negotiate every single point in that term sheet until you all agree on it. And then once you all agree on that term sheet, we say, now you're going to lease. It's a, it's a big step. Okay. Are there any other terms that we should be aware of before the lawyer gets involved? And I, I would imagine now we're going to start talking soon. We'll start talking about the different language that's involved thereafter the lawyer getting involved. I, I, I think we've, co- we've covered the, the basics. We've covered enough so you understand what a term sheet looks like. You should be able to look at a, a term sheet from your landlord and understand all the language and everything that's in there. Got it. So one more quick break to thank our sponsors. And I know one of the things we're going to talk about, which I, I don't think this industry does enough of, is leaving backdoors, exit strategies. We get Our exit strategy, for some reason, is always death. And that's not It should not be an option. So one more quick break and we'll be right back. Today's episode is brought to you by Chow Now, a commission-free online ordering system and food ordering app 
helping restaurants feed their hungry customers. Over 20,000 restaurants trust Chow Now for their online ordering. This is because Chow Now helps restaurants keep their profits, own their online experience, meet their customers everywhere, and make every diner a regular. Here's how it works. Chow Now clients get listed on the free Chow Now marketplace. Once they're there, they can meet new customers and take unlimited commission-free orders through Chow Now's app and site. There is no setup fee or monthly payment. Now, this is what I really love about Chow Now. You get access to valuable customer data, which allows you to personalize the experience and the relationship with your guest. In other words, you own the relationship with your guests, something not all third-party ordering apps can claim. And we cannot wrap up this message without telling you about how to level up with Chow Now Direct. Chow Now Direct is Chow Now's comprehensive online ordering and marketing package. With Chow Now Direct, you get your own branded ordering app for iPhone or Android, email and print marketing, plus POS integration and much more. Because you are Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, you can enjoy 30% off the Chow Now Direct annual plan. Sign up at www.chownow.com slash unstoppable. That's chownow.com slash unstoppable. Today's episode is brought to you by Talk to the Manager. Look, nowadays people rather send you a text message than speak to you directly face-to-face. That's just the way people choose to communicate and there's not much we can do about it or is there? Talk to the Manager allows guests to share feedback or ask questions in a way that makes them feel comfortable and is also convenient to you. Don't worry about personal information being shared. Customers won't see your personal phone number, just the number that Talk to the Manager provides. You can even delegate customer feedback and divide the workload amongst your managers. Multiple managers can receive these texts. When one manager replies to a customer, the other staff will see their responses too. What I I personally love most about talk to the manager is that you can fix issues immediately in private before complaints go public online. Many times when people do write a negative review, it's because they just want to be heard and talk to the manager gives them that outlet to be heard before they bring it publicly and drag your name through the mud. Plus with talk to the manager, get issues brought to your attention, whether it's an issue with your restaurant's service product or facility, your guests will let you know whether you want to hear it or not, but this will help you improve. Using talk to the manager is so intuitive that no technology is required. If you can send a text message, you can use talk to the manager. Show guests you care enough to listen with Talk to the Manager. Head to talktothemanager.com slash unstoppable to sign up for your 60-day trial. That's www.talktothemanager.com slash unstoppable. All right, we're back, and we're going to get into a little bit of um, how to set yourself up for exit. So get into that. Well, always a sad moment. Yeah, when you uh, have to think about closing your restaurant, but if you're in business and you're a business person, get used to it. It's going to happen, and you got to know how to do it and make sure that you have the ability to do it. Most of our clients who close their restaurant do so uh, by selling it, and by selling it, a couple of things happen. It's really not about how much money you're going to get for it because you don't get that much. It's embarrassing how little you get for selling your restaurant. You may have put a million bucks into a build out and you might get $100,000 for it. You might get less. 
But a couple of things happen. Number one, you get to assign the lease to a new person. So you're done with the guarantee. You don't have to worry about that. Also, the buyer is going to replenish the security deposit with the landlord and you get that back. So now we're starting to get some money. You got some money from the buyer. You got your 100,000. You had six months of security maybe, or three months of security. Maybe it's 15, 20 grand. That's going to come back to you. And you're going you're gonna to be done. You're not going to have to deal with an angry landlord. He's not mad at you. He's, there's no reason for him to sue you. You've actually found him a new tenant. The landlord's always going to have to approve that new buyer. And so you want to make sure that buyer has, you know, the means to do the, the restaurant that they want to do and that the landlord's going to approve them. You also want to get the landlord's assent to this before you start looking. You want to tell the landlord, hey, I'm, I'm selling the restaurant. I'm going to come to you with a potential buyer just giving you a heads up. Yeah. That is an interesting point that you, you point out that your restaurant itself, the business, unless the business and the brand that you've created is you know, scalable and shows tons of promise, really isn't worth that much. Most of the, the, the value in your restaurant is in the physical assets that you own, the, the, the space, if you own the space, but in this case, you're leasing in the, the actual equipment. And yeah. I mean, there's just, there's just not that much value that if you're failing, the value of a stove, that's, that's a, that's a hundred, a $10,000 stove goes down to, you know, a thousand dollars. is the minute you take it out of the shop. That's just how, that's just how it is. It's five cents on the dollar um, for equipment. Which is one of the reasons why I'm sure you see most of the people in the restaurant industry, a lot of the really successful restaurant tours out there are, are really in the real estate game. They know that's where the money is and they're in there. They, they, they have a successful brand that they've created. And now they're just looking for real estate to, to scale and be, that's, that's where the money is. Uh, I've seen. I think if you want to be a successful restaurateur, you have to understand real estate at least. You don't have to become a crazy real estate person and be all about it, but you better understand it. Yeah. Um, interesting stuff. Any other things we should uh, keep in mind as far as how to protect ourselves in, during the lease negotiation phase in exiting? The, the other way to exit is through the good guy guarantee. You give notice to the landlord, you pay him what you're supposed to pay him. He rips up your personal guarantee. You take this company that you started that should not own anything else. It should be just for this restaurant. Don't mix and match. And you take that company and you close it. You legally close that company. So the landlord has no one to go after and they won't. And um, you can walk away and have your shirt on your back. So is that like a clause within the, the, the terms? Uh, the, is it literally called good guy guarantee? Yeah. Interesting. Or, awesome. or personal guarantee, one of the two. Anything we have not discussed up to this point that you want to drop on us to add value? I, th- I, think we've, I think we've covered a lot. So we do have a couple of folks that joined us today. Uh, and if you guys have questions, uh, now's the time to get them out. Bob, you always have good questions. So I'm going to open up the mic to you first. Uh, anything that you were hoping would be discussed or questions that uh, you're curious about, now's the time to get them out. Uh, no, the typical question would be uh, my favorite topic, key money. The, the question is, uh, I, I'm looking at a space and the guy wants some insane amount of key money. And I just typically would say, no, you could keep all your stuff. I don't pay key money. Yeah. I mean, take your stuff out. Goodbye. 
It, it depends on how much people are asking. If you see well, you know, space, you know as well as I do, it's some crazy number. Not always. So, so real quick, it, I want to backtrack for the, the 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 idiots in the room like me. So we talked about <laughs> uh, white box space. We talked about key um, key money being the the turnkey operation, but. Specifically, what's the question you're asking in terms of key money? I'm not well, sure. you know, when you have the discussion prior to the value of stuff in a restaurant after you want to sell it, you know, you're, you're, most restaurateurs are delusional about the value of the stuff. But, uh, you know, you're lucky if you get 10%. Uh, but when they decide to hand it off to a new tenant, all of a sudden, that's not 10% anymore. And you have to make a decision whether the FF&E that's there is worth your time or does it, you know, correlate to what you're trying to accomplish, especially in the kitchen. And yeah, most, of the right. time, most of the time it's not. Yeah. Take it from Oftentimes, there. Sometimes restaurateurs are delusional. This is why having a broker who deals with key money deals is important because ultimately the value of your restaurant is what the street is willing to pay for it. So if I've got a restaurant and I put it out there for $400,000, I'm not going to get any bites. But if I put it out there for 150, knowing that I'll probably end up settling for a hundred and that's what every other restaurant in town is going for, then you have a shot. Yeah. It also depends upon the the location and the value of the property and um, you know, what kind of traffic you, you have in the, I mean, for the city, it's, you know, if you've got a space in Union Square, you've got like traffic up the yin yang. Uh, if you've got, you know, if you're an alphabet city, it's a whole different value. It, it, it It's, I, I'm like David, I've been in this for a long, long time and negotiated, you know, part of the negotiation of leases for years. And some of the, some of the line items, I mean, like anything else in the lease negotiation is the same thing I tell clients for vendors. Every single thing is negotiable. So Everything. back back to your original question, there's somebody who is overvaluing their uh, their assets. Right. It, what's, what's, so what's the question? How do I get this person to come down? Yeah. And the answer to that was get a broker involved. The answer is a broker will tell you what other spaces are going for. So if, if I got a guy on East fifth street, who's asking for $400,000 and you bring a broker in and the broker says, well, two things on this block sold over the last year and a couple of things down the street, and they all sold for a hundred thousand dollars with the same footprint. That's going to bring the buyer. I mean, the seller down to earth. So that has to happen. You have to bring the seller down to earth. And usually at least these days, it's a buyer's market. There's things for sale post COVID. All right, we're going to go. Well, to- it's, it's the it, it's the same rule for even non-commercial real estate. It's 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 got to do with the willingness of a buyer to to pay pay a certain amount. And it's funny. It's always funny to me about real estate. It's like you could have three houses in a row, and one one guy wants six hundred thousand, and the guy has three hundred thousand, the guy's four thousand, and it and it's in the same block. And it it's funny that the value of what the market dictates it dictates by what your next door neighbor did or what the area geogra- you know the geographic area is and it's all about willingness to pay so if the market you know tends to say no uh we're doing covid it's a buyer's market 
and we're not paying some insane $300,000 key money, uh, you know, reality hits the landlord real fast. Mm-hmm. And that number goes down like a rock. Because what you'll find out is that if you needed to replace that stuff, it's substantially lower than the key money. Yeah. Uh, thank you. And it's, and it's new. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Bob. Janae, the mic is yours. <laughs> well, I was more just going to ask your opinion on something. Um, all of this was super helpful and informative, and I appreciate your time. Um, but I, so I, about a year ago, almost now, probably more like nine months ago, I decided to get into this restaurant thing. And um, so I went and talked to a landlord and well, I talked to a broker and then I went to a building space in downtown that I was really interested in. Um, Found out who owned it through some connections and stuff and went and talked to them, went and checked out the space and have had some issues trying to like, I don't know, tie anything down. Like I've contacted the owner multiple times. I just had issues like finding time to schedule time to see it and different things like that. Um, And I've had my real estate broker has talked to them, contacted them um, because I told them specifically that I was super interested in that space. And the broker came back to me and said that they weren't interested in leasing it which is weird because I've also like talked to them more recently and they said, yes, it's still available. Um, They just seem a little wishy-washy, which kind of worries me. So I guess I was asking an opinion, um, like your professional opinion on if that's just something I should maybe stay away from, or I guess any uh, recommendations on how to go about that. Cause it is like literally the perfect spot and I love it. And that's probably also a problem that I've fallen in love with it. Um, and this family that owns this building, they own lots of buildings in town and they've been sitting, it's been sitting vacant for like two years now. And so it's kind of obvious that they probably don't need the money since they've just been sitting on it and they're just not really eager to lease it, which is frustrating. So I don't know if I should just step away and be like, you know, like this is a business, like you should want my business, like as much as I want to give you money. Um, so yeah, just any opinions or thoughts on that? Are you able to, to, to distill the question from that? Yeah, no, I, I think that that last thing you said, that that attitude is the only attitude you have. You're not allowed to fall in love with spaces. I know. I know. So we'll start there. there yeah. There's no love with spaces um, because you'll, you'll get your heart broken uh, time and time again. I think you can tell a lot through the early stages of a relationship, like you can with any relationship. And if they're not, they're not talking to you, if they're not being communicative, well, that's what you can expect in the future. So I'd move on. I'd move on. Well, I just read that Clyde Commons available. That's a good spot. (laughs) Is that in in Seattle or is that in Oregon? Wait, where's, where's Clyde's Commons? It's in Portland. Or is it? Yeah, but it's in the it's in the Ace Hotel. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's it's been really hard because I'm in a pretty a somewhat small town, um, and there just is not a lot of space available um, that I can oh. find. And I definitely want a restaurant space to kind of go into, and there's just not anything available. So it's been been tricky. 
try sometimes we try to get directly to the landlords and mm-hmm. not go through the broker if you have anybody you know who knows them mm-hmm. sometimes a personal appeal will work and you yes. don't have if it's a small town and you don't have a lot of options you may have to kind of bite the bullet and try to get to the landlords get them to know you you're a nice person let well, them know you're a nice person <laughs> well and that's who i've talked to you know multiple times and sh- so like i said their family owns multiple businesses in town. And so the one person that I've been in contact with, she also runs her own business. So like, I know she's a busy lady, but I think I'm kind of getting to that point where I'm like, maybe I just need to start checking in, you know, weekly and stopping in and bugging her about it. But I don't even know if she's the one that's really in charge of negotiating, you know, like giving me the terms of all of that stuff. She just showed me the building once, mm-hmm. um, but I haven't been able to get her to, give me anyone else's contact information either. Yeah. Sometimes you have to do a lot of recon. Yeah. And what you just said, I think is important too. And I can't remember where I heard this or read this, but a lot of what gets people to trust you is just familiarity. So the more you show up, the more you, you stay top of mind, the more you just are on their radar, the more familiar they become with you, the the more that trust is going to grow, but you, you got to put the work in, right? So yeah. that constant gentle pressure again is coming into the conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you, uh, David. Uh, I think that that's. I mean, unless anybody has another question they want to ask before we wrap it up, speak now. Three, two, one. I think we're good to, to wrap it up. Uh, so, how can we connect with you if we have further questions? Uh, if we need consultation, what's the best way to connect? You should go to our website, Helbron Levy, and it's um, dot com, and you can send me an email, David at Levy dot com. I'm I'm always answering emails from people. If you have questions, feel free. Beautiful. Thank you so much. I I could recommend that if anybody uh, wants to, David has a a newsletter that he sends out. I get it all the time uh, on the current condition of New York City, at least. Uh, And one quick question, David. What's the going square footage rate today? The dollar amount? Yeah. It really depends on where. I, I, I don't. I don't even know, honestly. <laughs> I, I'm. Is it? It's. Is it still in the two to two fifty range? It, it hasn't come down too much. So land landlords, are, landlords, as, as, as you as you would say, Landy is still delusional. Yeah, Landy's <laughs> delusional. David, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. I uh, really enjoyed this conversation. Tons of value. There is no questioning, my man. You are unstoppable. Thanks a lot. Nice to talk to you. There we go. Another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Stoppable. Special thanks to our guest today, David Halbrin. And this is a skill you're going to need if you want to be a restaurateur. You're going to need to know a lot about property and how to negotiate a lease and uh, to recognize a good deal, the questions to ask, the things to look out for. And we got a lot today. Thank you so much, David. Uh, Tons of value in today's episode. So as you're listening to this, I'm actually recording this on the 29th of January. Um, I'm about to head to New Orleans and there's a blizzard happening. So hopefully I'm able to get down to New Orleans and I'm I'm in New Orleans Orleans right now. This will be going live on Thursday. Um, The, I think the, third of February. And, uh, when I get back next week, I'm headed to New York city. I'm talking to 
the founder of And Pizza, Michael Astoria, and I'm also connecting with the CEO and founder of Bicky, and we're going to be talking about the uh, uh, great unpackaging, or I think unbundling. I'm really curious about that. I uh, hope you guys are too. Uh, and we also have a workshop on blockchain and its ramifications on the restaurant industry. We're going to ha- somehow squeeze that in to the mix as well next week. Uh, hopefully next week, if not the following week. And we got tons of great things happening over in Restaurant Unstoppable Network. And if I didn't make it clear in the opening thoughts, when you guys join the network, you're actually joining us live for these interviews. You're you're there with me and my guests as I'm asking them these questions and, and interviewing them. And we open it up for Q&A at the end. And you can literally connect with industry thought leaders that you would normally never have access to. So if you want to support this mission to inspire, empower, and transform the industry, uh, please join the network. That's probably the best way. It's 30 bucks a month. And that 30 bucks goes such a long way. Uh, I'm trying to grow this thing. I'm trying to recruit talent and uh, bring people on the road with me to grab behind the scenes footage to go much deeper. And I can't do it alone. I just, I just can't do it alone. So uh, your support is going to help make this possible. And I just cannot say thank you enough. Uh, so with that said, if you found this episode powerful and you want me to go to work for you, what is your current challenge right now? Where's your pain? Email me, eric at restaurantstoppable.com. Let me know, and I'll try to find the person to, to serve you. And we can put them in a room with you, and we can learn together. All right, that's it for today. Until next time, peace out.